Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Man, we have something for people tonight. <laughs> we do. We have something tonight. You know, when I spoke with the our special guest last week, I was so excited because she was so real. When we spoke on the phone, she opened up to me. It was my first time talking with her, and I got chilled. I mean, bumps came, goosebumps, or whatever you call them, came all over me when we spoke because she went so deep. I mean, within the first five minutes, she went deep, and she was telling me some things. And you know what? That's a part of the healing process, you know, to be able to tell somebody about your testimony, to tell somebody about your past experiences, and that's what she's doing, and she's going to do that tonight. And Brian, you spoke with her on last night. What did you What did you feel? I tell you what, I was ready <laughs> to do this show tonight. <laughs> you know, just just based on the, the just the brief conversation that we had, I was like, wow, this yeah. is going to be one powerful show. You know, it's it's not an easy thing doing what the things that she's doing. When you know, Brian is going to tell you some of the things that she's doing. And when she come on, she's going to tell you some things. You know, she's so busy pouring out into so many other lives, and that can become, you know, at some point you can get burnt out. You know, Brian, you and I, we do that, and sometimes when you come home or and you, you're pouring so much out into other people, and you feel like no one is pouring into you. So, you know, it's it's a hard thing, but you know what? God created us for it. He created us for that. Right. You know, I believe that everybody has a purpose, and everything that happens to you is, you know, whether it be good or bad, it's it's for a purpose. You know, the Bible says that all things work toward the good to those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. And, you know, our guest tonight, she definitely has a purpose, you know, on this planet, exactly where she's doing and, you know, and where she is. There's a purpose behind that. Yes, you know what? There's a healing process. There's a healing process, and all of us at some point, we're going to have to trust God when we're in that healing process. A lot of times what we do is, you know, when we're going through something, we'll try God for just a couple of seconds, for just a a little while. I'll say seconds, but it's longer than that. But we'll try Him for just a little while, and when when we feel that He's not moving fast enough, we'll take the situation ourselves and try to handle it. Now, we've never been able to handle any situation before, but we feel like we could just take it from God and, and handle things on our own. And, you know, that's, that's so dangerous. But you know what? That's the reason a lot of us are suffering. That's, a lot, that's the reason a lot of us are going through a lot of the things because we trust man more than we trust God. Yes, yes. Tonight's show is entitled A New Day. And our author... The author that we have as our special guest tonight, her name is Marion Napoleon. And I'm going to just read a little bit about her. Marion Napoleon is a former Dallas Cowboy cheerleader and a nationwide Christian and corporate motivational speaker. She resides in Dallas, Texas with her three with her husband and three sons. Mr. Miss Napoleon is You know what, before I talk about that, I, I want her to talk about the rest of her bio. Yeah. But I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna skip down in her bio and just talk about some of the organizations that she does. Um, she has many organizations that support women and children, and they include the Metropolitan Institute for Women, Ladies Night Out, and the Teen Scene. And at this time, I want to introduce to you all Marion Napoleon. Are you there, ma'am? I'm there. How are you guys doing, Brian and Greg? How are you doing? Wonderful. wonderful. Well, I'm blessed, and it is truly a new day. Okay. Yes, yes. we'd like to welcome you officially to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I've enjoyed our conversations over the last couple of days, and I'm looking forward to just get an opportunity to speak with your radio audience. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know, um, Marion, I was reading over your bio and all of the the things that you're in, involved in, all of those things are about helping other people. Absolutely. What, I mean, and and you had to have gone through something in your life to want to do the things that you're doing. 
You know, and, and, and Brian and Greg, everything that we do in life stems from something that has happened to us in our life. And it's very funny that if you look at the three different organizations that um, God has blessed me to have a vision for, the first of that is, is the team thing. One of the missions and prayers that I have asked God to give me for the team theme is that we can catch the problem at the root and help prevent a lot of our children from going through the abuse, from going through homosexuality, from going through anger and drugs and all of those things. If we can catch them at a young age, then we won't have to worry about them being dysfunctional adults. The Ladies' Night Out is a is a platform for women to come together and just fellowship in every way, whether it's our business, Christianity, and music. Um, it also gives an opportunity for that corporate world to meet women from that struggling environment. I work a lot with Texas Department of Criminal Justice, um, Attitudes and Attires. Those are all programs that are helping women who have been incarcerated or are coming from chemically dependent backgrounds. It's helping them to migrate back into society. So Ladies' Night Out is a migration of all of those worlds. And most of the time, most of the women don't realize it. And then, of course, Institute for Women, it's the next level. It's taking a lot of women who have dreams and desires that don't have the resources to the next level, giving them education and training, and for some of them, housing and all of those things. And all of those visions came from different areas in my life where I needed exactly these things that God has given me the opportunity to go out and offer to a lot of women, children. And, you know, we don't exclude men. It's just that because I am a woman, God really gave me a passion to help hurting women. Is that fair? Oh, somebody has a phone ring in there. <laughs> Um, Ms. Napoleon, uh-huh. let's talk about the teen scene. Now, your teen scene, it says you provide workshops and activities to help teenagers become more aware of issues that can and is destroying their lives. You know, I, I think that's so important. Is it just is your teen scene program just geared toward uh, women, or is it toward men, no. and young women, and the young men? The teen scene is geared toward everyone. And let me just give you a little statistics to help you understand why I felt that desire to do the teen thing. When I started looking at the rate of suicide among teenagers, that rate was so alarming. 65% of our teenagers attempt to commit suicide. That is both in male and female. Of that, 57% of our teenagers have, a, have tried homosexuality. And the interesting thing about that is most of those kids are in the home where they have both their biological parents. So it has nothing to do with being raised in dysfunctional families. It's basically their exposure. The alarming rate is 86% of them will try drugs. So a lot of 86% of them will not, may try, will try drugs. So a lot of the, the purpose of the teen theme is to provide an environment where the teenagers can feel comfortable to ask questions. And the most incredible thing is when I get these teenagers behind closed doors, I have a pack that says what stays in this room, what happens in this room stays in this room. However, when I have a teen theme summit and environment, we also meet with the parents. And we make certain that the discussions do not have a face on them. A lot of the parents can recognize the personalities of their children and vice versa, but we, we give them no acknowledgement that, that that is their child. But it's amazing because the, the saddest environments are the Christian environment. And a lot of the teenagers' biggest problem is when they see their parents acting one way in the church as leaders and teachers and evangelists and preachers, but they're totally different individuals at home. And a lot of their things to me is, can you tell my mom not to be so fake? 
can you tell my dad to quit lying or drinking? My, and my, my. It, it, it crushes your heart, but it's a reality that these kids deal with every day. And if you stop and you think about it and you bring that into your own home, your kids, just something as simple as your phone ringing and you're not wanting to talk to the person on the other end. A lot of times you'll tell the child to say, tell them I'm not here. That is a very common thing that parents do. But when they see the parents in the church as leaders and praise worshipers and giving testimonies about how God has been so good and how God has truly changed their lives, and then that same parent goes home and, and maybe curses that child out, that runs, that chases them away from Christianity and it, it encourages them to embrace the world. Because the one thing that I can say about the world is it is what it is. They don't fake and act like they're one thing. They, they are who they are. If they want to give you drugs, they are going to tell you they're a drug dealer. If they want to uh, introduce you to a lifestyle that is inappropriate, they are letting you know that that is who they are. And as Christians, we have the biggest impact on our kids. They don't listen to our talk. They watch our walk. Yes. That's so true. And you know what, Mr. Napoleon, you, you said two things. You said something about suicide and homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And with these children, I can hear a passion when you're, when you're talking about this. It, did you deal with suicidal thoughts, or did you ever have to deal or struggle with homosexuality? Well, you know, it's amazing. Um, as a teenager, I got involved with my teacher. Um, and... I got involved simply because that individual gave me a place to live and that individual basically gave me all the parental things that my parents, that my mother could not give. And through that, um, I got involved in a homosexuality with that individual. I didn't know how to get out of it. I wasn't quite sure how I got in it. But there were no resources for me to go. There was no individuals that I could talk to. There were no resources that I could read and it was the most isolated world, and a lot of kids claim homosexuality because of confusion. Had I not truly been a young lady that just had a passion for the Lord, even in my walk in the whole homosexual lifestyle, I still had a passion for the Lord. I still prayed. I still never gave up on wanting to get to know God. And in that, He gave me ways out. But again, when you're in bondage and when you're in a position where it it looks like it's a good thing, but it truly is a bad thing, and it takes us wisdom for you to realize that it's not a good thing for you to be in any type of molestation, abuse, anything where that individual has control over your life, it's never a good thing if you're involved with them sexually. And that goes for a homosexual relationship, it goes for father-daughter relationship, anything. And my prayer is that through this, I can get kids to talk to me so that we can give them some type of resource to help them get out of the situation because I get a lot of times, well, how could you stay in it for so long? And I used to have to ask myself that. And one of the things that I have to do to help these other kids it's helped them to understand, you know, it's a good and a bad feeling. The horrible feeling is something in your gut tells you that this is not right. But when that person couples that whole sexual experience with love, you can't see for anything that it's wrong. And those are the type of things that we try to truly ingrain in the teenagers is that it, it has to be something that you talk with not necessarily an adult, but just get someone that you can trust to help you out of the situation. And the same is true with suicide. There is absolutely no way that you can't have suicidal thoughts when you're going through something like that. And the amazing thing about the statistics is it shows that 57, it it actually shows that the higher percentage of those teenagers that commit suicide, most of them have had some type of exposure to homosexuality. 
Now, the interesting thing about this generation of teenagers is there's really not a lot of shame in their game when it comes to homosexuality. That's becoming something of their, their future. It's an accepted act in their future. The whole thing that I try to get them to understand is you will change your identity so many times between now and the time you are a full-fledged adult that you should not wear any labels. Don't walk around and proudly say, I'm a lesbian or I'm gay, because you don't know who you are at this stage in life. Your life will be molded by so many different individuals, and do not claim that. And I tell the parents, do not claim that for your child. You'd be surprised at how many uh, parents want to be friends with their son or their daughter, and they start to accept their lifestyle and their behavior. That's 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 not good. Now, I'm not saying be cruel to them because they are confused, but don't start buying into allowing this young girl to dress like a boy and this boy to go overboard in being feminine. Teach him how to be a man. Teach him, teach her how to be a woman. Tonight okay. we have guest. Uh, our guest is author Marion Napoleon. Miss um, Napoleon, you know, I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about uh, a lot of teens that I've, you know, known throughout, you know, my past dealings with, you know, youth groups and so forth, and a lot of them, you know, when you try to talk to them as when they're be, when they're teens, they're so, I mean, they're so they know it all, and they're mm-hmm. so thick-headed, you know. And I, I guess my question is, how early should you be talking to kids about? you know, these types of issues, like issues of suicide and issues of, you know, molestation, sexual abuse. When they start talking. <laughs> when they start talking, you start talking. My, my, my sons, um, you know, now are 9, 14, and, of course, 25. And my youngest son, I have the most in-depth conversations with more than any because he is the type that is so impressionable. And we talk about homosexuality. We talk about drugs. Because here's, here's my thing with that. If they're going to have that conversation with anyone, I'd rather it be me. I would rather them feel comfortable to come to me and say, you know, Mom, I, I, I got approached with a, a drug today, and everybody's doing it, and, and it didn't seem to hurt them. Um, what do you think? And as parents, we can't be so quick to attack because we have to remember we were kids too. And we pretty much did a little bit of everything um, when we were growing up. We, if, if there is a, a parent out there that was perfect, I would love to touch the hem of their garment. <laughs> I would love to have a piece of that glory and, that, and, and whatever it is that's flowing through their veins to keep them perfect because there is no perfect being. So we have to, as parents, truly be able to, you know, it's, it's funny. In writing this whole book project, kids are able to read this book and, and everything, and I, I wanted to make sure that my kids could read it and ask questions about it. And one of the things that is not, it, it's a guarantee is that they will be approached at some point in life with peer, peer pressure. And that peer pressure may be drugs, it may be alcohol, and absolutely they know everything right now, at least they think so. And when I think back on my team, um, had someone approached me when, of course, no one knew that I was going through what I was going through, at least no one acknowledged it. I can't say that I thought I knew everything, but I felt pretty much like I had control of the situation, if that makes sense. And I think that's what the kids are feeling is that they have control. Most of the time, the frightening thing is their parents don't know. The, the kids that are the most um, involved in this, the whole teen scene and homosexuality and drugs and all of that, you know, drugs are obvious because there's, side, you know, there's some type of a sign. The parents are clueless, and they allow kids to come stay overnight. Just think of how innocent it is to have friends to come and stay overnight. 
and most of the things that take place take place up under the roof of their parents, with their parents in the same household. So um, talking to them about it, we have to be able to take ourselves down to their level and not always be in a position of preaching and teaching. Because if you sat still and just listen to what kids are telling you, wow, it is, it is incredible. They're telling you a lot, but, but the end result is they really don't want to do what they are doing, but it's getting them acceptance. It's a group that has embraced them. And they would just as soon be a part of that group who says they're okay than to be alone and isolated. That's so true. That's so true. If you just join us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our special guest is former Dallas Cowboy cheerleader and author, motivational speaker, Marion Napoleon. Marion, we have a MySpace question. Okay. The question is from Kim. In your homosexual relationship, was suicide ever a thought? Suicide was always a thought, and here's why. The whole situation with the homosexual relationship was I was in something that I did not know how to get out of. I was torn because everything about society says that this is wrong. But in the midst of being in the situation, this individual told, told me and taught me differently. So what made me want to commit suicide was the, the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the not knowing who I was, not fitting into any category. I was really not accepted too much by the kids because they didn't know what to think. And the adults, I was not an adult, so I couldn't fit in the adult world. So there was isolation. And the suicide, a lot of times we assume it takes the pain away. And it's a quick fix to getting the problem over with when you can't deal with it. And I hope that answers your question, Kim. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Napoleon? We have a, another question. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of children out there now that have parents that, you know, and that you, talk, you talked about this earlier, and you talked about, the, you know, the relationship where that parent is in the church, you know, they're ministers, they're, pe- you know, preachers, teachers, what have you, and then they come home and they're different. You know, mm-hmm. how important do you think that, you know, that parent-child relationship is you know, especially when that parent is a leader in the church. Well, let me just tell you this. Had my relationship been a healthy one with my mother, I would have never gone through the doors of homosexuality. And it wasn't until I was adult that I really had an opportunity to to dissect the situation. What I was looking for in that other woman was that that mother figure, that parental relationship. And for the most part, that individual fulfilled that for me, which gave me no reason to try to make the relationship with my mother work. Basically, it made me rebel against her. Yes, she was a God-fearing woman. She prayed. She did all of those things. But as far as I was concerned, none of that meant anything. You know, how can you choose anything over your child? How, you know, and, and that's from a, an adolescent perspective, an angry, rebellious Adolescent, and it makes you disrespect that headship, which takes you into a whole different arena. You you become rebellious, and you will do whatever it takes to take that pain away and to rebel against that parent. Because we that's that's a hypocrisy for the most part. And my question to that preacher, teacher, prophet, evangelist that is ministering in the church and then goes home and wears a different mask. If you can't heal your home, how can you heal the congregation? Wow. Yes, right. You know, um, and, and I mean, when I look at that, because, you know, you do see that happening more often than not. You know, I can remember seeing, you know, uh, um, a minister. And, you know, in the church he's saying, you know, repent, don't do this, don't do that. You know, and he's teaching and he's, you know, prophesying and everything else. 
But then he was rude to his wife. Right. And he was rude to, you know, to his children. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, what happened to the lowliness and the meekness that you're supposed to have? And what happened to the nurturing relationship that you are supposed to have? Because he wasn't a very approachable person, you know, outside of the pulpit. Right. Or even, you know, in the pulpit, you know, it was sort of like he, he, he gave the fire and brimstone version of the word every time. And he didn't really focus on, and I'm going to ask you about this, he didn't focus on love. How important do you think love is? Well, let me just take it to the Word of God. Let You know, Galatians 6 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And notice he says, gently and humbly, because when you are already in darkness, and people are watching you. The last thing you need is someone with an, you know, abrupt personality to come and have exposure to you. That will make your suicide. It everything about that person's approach can make it worse. Worse. And and when you look at pastors and. Um, I did a documentary not too long ago called All in the Name of God, and it talks about abuse in the church, and there is a website. And one of the things that I talked about on the documentary is we have to realize that clergymen are people. Those individuals have gone through a lot of the same trials and tribulations that we've gone through. The problem is that they never seek help or they literally made certain that they're healed from all of the things that they've gone through, when they allow these individuals into their lives and a a like spirit approaches them, more than likely they will fall. And a lot of, you know, let's use the example, um, adultery. If that individual has had a history of adultery and a woman or man comes into the environment seeking counsel, and there's any slight attraction, they will fall into the same sin. So the question that was asked to me is, do you think that Christian counseling is effective? Absolutely, but I think even counselors need a counselor because you have to be able to keep yourself strong. You have to be able to deal with your own issues. And just because God gave you or called you to minister, doesn't wipe away your past. He mm-hmm. makes us, he holds us accountable for that. And he, call, and he tells us here that we mm-hmm. need to be careful not to fall into the same sins ourselves. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So they are human. They will make mistakes. But they have to use their word as their medicine and make sure that they are healed before they approach and touch another life. Because if not, what we're doing is we're creating infections in, in the church because right now we're in an, an environment or in a society where pain is becoming the norm. And people are coming back to the churches in the masses because they are looking and seeking God's faith. And if that representative that we first meet is someone like this gentleman that you're talking to, who we're sitting there, and we may be a woman who has suffered physical abuse from our husband, and we're in the church looking for someone to help us, and, and this man speaks harshly to his wife, do you think I'm going to feel comfortable about approaching that, that, that minister? I would say not. <laughs> So those are the things that we really have to be careful and watch as we, as God elevates us to the next level in ministry. If you're just joining in, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and tonight's guest is author, Christian and corporate motivational speaker, and former uh, Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, Marion Napoleon. 
Marion, uh, Greg, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, okay, good, good. I think we have another MySpace question. Okay. Yes, we have a MySpace question from Paul. Paul wants to know, when you were a child and going through all the pain and suffering that you were going through, when or who introduced you to Christ? You know, interestingly enough, Christ was introduced to me at a very young age and, uh, you know, my mother made it made it a, a requirement that we had to go to church every Sunday. And I thank God for that because at a very young age I had a love for the Lord and I just became very involved in the church, whether it was singing or playing the piano or, you know, doing whatever. And it was that type of relationship that kept me. And even in going through all that I went through, now here's the funny thing. You can still go to church and you can do all of the things that you do and still be in all of that bondage. And it wasn't until years later that I met a young lady who really seemed to have an authentic walk with the Lord. And I watched her and she, you know, she spoke in tongues, all of those things that made me very uncomfortable. I used to call it, you know, the holy rollers. Um, but I watched her walk over the years, and she was one of very few people that I would pick up the phone with and say, pray with me. And, you know, funny, she became my sister-in-law years later. And to this day, I felt that she was the angel that God sent in my life because although I never spoke with her about my whole past and all of the things that I went through, she could feel it. And she made me feel that I was okay. No matter what doors I had been through, I was okay with her. And she loved me irregardless. And if you can meet one person like that in the middle of your darkness, it will bring you out. The person doesn't have to know everything about you. All you have to know is they care and they're willing to walk with you through it. And I hope that helps you. <laughs> I'm sure it will. <laughs> yes. Um, we have another question, and that question is, in your ladies' night out, I think mm-hmm. they must have heard that from earlier, it said, what do you actually do? With the ladies' night out, it's really kind of an interesting uh, environment. It's a charity organization supporting battered women's organization, um, children, distressed children's organizations. It's all a fundraiser to get money to help any organization that is selected in need. And, and it's also an opportunity to take women who may not know or have a relationship with God or may not be familiar with the Word of God, and it's an exposure. It's a very a lot of corporate individuals. It's a lot of every women, all kinds of women. And the interesting thing about it is uh, we have big vendor events, we have fashion shows, gospel concerts, dinners, and at the end of the dinner, I always have a guest speaker. And I make certain that that guest speaker is someone who is a Christian speaker, and it may be a minister, but I always tell my ministers, I need someone diverse because these people are not going to have Bibles, and some of them may not know anything about their Bible. So I need someone who can plant that seed, and that is their introduction to the house of the Lord. And it opens the doors for them to say, wow, I want some of that. I want to be a part of that. And it works every time. Women who have never had a Christian walk ever, they are looking forward to the next ladies out, or they're looking forward to another Christian function. Because a lot of times, guys, we make the world feel very not a part of the whole Christian environment. And I know that a lot of ministries are working very hard to make that gap a smaller thing, but it's still a very big gap between the world and the Christian environment. Yes, it is. You know, um, Mrs. Napoleon, you have such a passion for what you do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You spend, yeah, and you spend a lot of time helping, 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 helping. I just keep hearing that. At some point, I know a lot of this 
there's a lot of weight on your shoulders in doing this, and people coming in to see you, and and then you may have some women that that are on the that are on the verge of their breakthrough, but then they slip back out into the world. You know, mm-hmm. when seeing something like that, did you ever get discouraged and say, you know what, I'm through with this. I just give up, Lord. I can't do this. You called me to do this, but this is just too much on me. I can't continue doing this. You know, interestingly, I have had that happen a lot, but giving up is not an option for me because had the one person that God assigned to me given up on me, I wouldn't be here today. And a lot of times I I talk to women and, you know, they'll call me and say, well, I couldn't reach you and I couldn't talk to you and I did this. You know, I I cheated on my husband or I fell back into a homosexual um, relationship or all of those things and I listened to them. And a lot of times we have to really be careful before we speak to an individual. And a lot of times I'll say, let me, let me, let me think on this, you know, let, let's chat again tomorrow. Because I don't want to say the wrong things to them. So a lot of times I have to sit and, and read my Bible and really ask the Lord to give me guidance to the right things to say because backsliding is not an uncommon thing. And the one thing that I've learned in life, if I look at the whole 40, I'll be 45 this month, if I look at the whole 45 years that I've lived, one thing I've found is temptation is very difficult because it it changes its face. When you finally get yourself out of that whole, you know, the homosexual lifestyle, then, you know, you, you end up in an adultery situation. Or, you know, so there's all different kinds of sin that you can fall into. So when individuals come to you and they've fallen, we can't be hard on them because it's something that happens. We have to, again, gently and humbly help them back onto the right path. We have to tell them from the Word of God what is right. If they say to you that, you know, well, I've, I've made a mistake and I've had an affair on my husband, I'm not going to say to you, that's okay. Well, you know, everything's going to be okay. That's not okay. That's sin, and that's reason for divorce. You need to pray about it. You need to ask God to forgive you. You need to do everything in your power to fix what you've done because you basically destroyed a lot of lives. So I will do anything that I can to pray with you, to help you, but you have to make sure that you are truly healed because if you go back into this marriage and repeat that same offense, you really are, you know, that's disappointing a lot of times, but it does happen. And, you know, they have to be willing to reap what they sow. And that's the hardest thing in life. If I look back on all the things that I've done, I've reaped what I've sown in every situation. I've reaped what I've sown. And in, in, in the book, we, we deal with the whole issue of infidelity. Marriages today... <laughs> They're frightening. And the ones that look the happiest are the most disastrous, you know. We have to admit that we are two individuals that came into this relationship from two different worlds. You know, my thing was I had to get a handle on being in control. I was so tired of my life being out of control that I thought in marriage I was going to keep it in control. But that man is the head of my life. And until I could give him ownership of my life and be the helpmate that God put me, made me, our marriage was it was very unequally yoked. It was a disaster. It was it was volatile. And, you know, I had to learn to submit and that was a very hard lesson for someone who needed control. Yes, if you're just listening in, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, if you have a comment or a question you can reach us at 718-508-9600. That's 718-508-9600. Miss uh, Napoleon, I want to ask you about your Metropolitan Institute for Women. You know, I've been um, I've read your bio, and one of the things it talks about is employment opportunities for women who have been incarcerated or coming out of abusive and or volatile environments. And I guess my question is, you know, Greg and I, we go in, talk to uh, the inmates in the prison, in the jail, and so forth, and 
you know, we get a lot of different, you know, individuals that ha- have come from so many different backgrounds, but they seem to have the same issues over and over. Do you do you yeah. tend to get that? Do you tend to get the same, um, the same like people who have like uh, gone through what you went through? Absolutely, and you know that is where the whole passion is driven. When I sat and I talk with these individuals that have been incarcerated, that um, are coming out, or that are currently incarcerated, these individuals have been through so much in life that they have chosen to take it, take control of their life in a violent manner, or take control of their life. You know, some of them have, are in there, a large percentage of the women are in there because of drug-related um, things. However, it's for their spouse or for their, their significant other. A lot, of, a lot of them have been so abused that they'll take any kind of love, um, even if it means that they have to do time. And the whole thing that, that we try to teach them in these sessions is who you were yesterday is not who you have to be today. Forget those things that you've done and leave those behind and press towards your future. And that is a very difficult thing to do if you won't talk about your past. And, and in those sessions, it is a free platform to say, you know, I was violently raped by my father. I have a a posting on my blog on MySpace that um, says I got a call today. And it just so happened to be a conversation with a um, probation officer dealing with a young lady who had just gotten out of um, prison and found out that her father was married. And she just literally went crazy and was trying to kill the father and the wife and herself. And the probation officer just couldn't understand it because this girl was saying that she loved her father and, you know, no woman would ever take him away from her and she was in love with him and he was the man for her and she's the one that's supposed to be with him all of her life. And she had been, basically, her dad had been intimate with her since she was eight years old. And they just could not understand. They were so angry and they were getting ready to basically put her back in jail because um, they felt that she was totally out of control. And my thing to them is, you know, you're really, you're really incarcerating the wrong person. Why not go after the father? He is the one that has caused this problem. Now, this lady needs help, but this father needs to be locked up for life. He has damaged this young woman's life. And a lot of times when you're in the midst of these things, you can't see that. You just look at the thickness of it, that this young girl thinks she's in love with her father, but you don't look at the fact that the training came from the father. He's the one that introduced that entire concept to that woman who is now an adult who cannot move on with her life. She can never have a, a healthy relationship without counseling and you know, getting a relationship with the Lord and getting into her word. And day by day, it's not an overnight thing, but day by day, hour by hour, she can be healed. But it takes a strong support base around those type of individuals to get them there because they're angry, they're bitter. They don't mind murdering for for the anger, you know. And, and that's their life. They don't know anything else. You know, okay. you know, Mr. Napoleon, you said that you were violently uh, molested by your father. How, um, old, how old were you, and how did you make it through that? You know, um, I was probably I was a teenager, fresh, about probably in my sophomore year, because it happened so much um, that the turning point was the end of my sophomore year. And the thing that hurt more than anything is forever I never said anything to my mom about all the horrible things that were happening to me um, with all of the other relatives and all those things. I never said anything. And I can't say it was violently, but here's the thing. When you are afraid of whoever it is that is approaching you, there's violence there. I think when my mother found out 
and she didn't do anything to protect me. That was the turning point in my life where I could care less what I did. I, I didn't care what, what road I walked down. I didn't care who took me down that road because I was so angry that she could choose this individual who hurt me over me. And, and I guess that's where a lot of healing starts is you have to get to the root of that problem. That was my mother's norm. Um, that was my family's norm. You know, to them it's like, well, and we all, I always thought that if someone funneled you or, or did those type of things to you, that was okay. They just couldn't violently have sex with you. That's, that was my mentality. I had no concept of molestation. However, people don't realize that as a child or a teenager, when someone is coming into your bedroom every night and they're doing things to you, that is the most frightening experience that any child can, can have. And it doesn't have to go all the way to that violent sexual um, experience like a lot of people have for it all to be the same. And you, it takes you years to get over it. And it takes everyone in that environment being able to look you in the face and say, I'm sorry that I didn't protect you. Because a lot of times the individual that was aware of it suffers just as much guilt as the individual, as the victim. Mr. Yeah. Napoleon, I want to um, shift gears a little bit. Okay. I want to talk about your book. Your okay. book is entitled Lady Silverstone's Darkest Hour. Yes. Tell us about Lady Silverstone, without revealing too much about your book. Okay. Lady Silverstone's Darkest Hour is a story that starts at the beginning of childhood, which is where all of the problems start. And it walks you through the life of a woman so that you can see how the simple mistakes in your youth and the, the things that you are exposed to how they can impact you in your everyday life. It's amazing. You would be surprised that there are 80-year-old women who still don't know who they are, who still wear masks, who smile when they really want to cry, who will speak kind words when they really want to just lose their mind and, and go off on you. And the whole purpose of Lady Silverstone's Darkest Hour is to give women a ministry tool because most Christian books, it's 90% scripture and 10% application. I wanted something that would be 90% application and 10% scripture because if you really want to read the Bible, then there is a Bible and no one can rewrite it, including me or anyone else. But I wanted to get a, basically write a book that could reach the core of that woman. And it's amazing. Every woman that reads it, they all say to me, wow, that sounds like my life, which tells me that, and not just the women. Interestingly enough, I've had a lot of men to say to me, that happened to me. And, you know, I have sons. So when I started to find out that there were men that were actually, you know, Sexual abuse, I'm sure that a lot of men have, have suffered with physical abuse, verbal abuse, but sexual abuse, it frightened me because I thought, oh, my God, I'm a mother of sons. You know, how can I protect them? What can I do to make sure that this doesn't happen to my, my son? But it opens the door for them to say, I want to be free from all of the bondage of my past at any cost. I want to come, become naked before God which in return will give you the opportunity to come make it before man. See, because there was a time in my life that I was so embarrassed about my past that I would do anything to keep me from knowing. If that meant I had to become overly feminine and overly foo-foo or, or overly diva or whatever word you want to call it, hoochie, it didn't matter. Whatever it took to get you to like me and to accept me, I would do. And... That is a very difficult lifestyle to live because you're always trying 
to please people. You're always trying to be accepted. And it's so funny now, I really could care less if you like me. I really could care less if you want to be my friend because I'm comfortable with who I am. And if no one can make me feel good about myself, God has taught me how to do it myself. At the end of the day, I realize I am okay. Wow. You know what? In your in your seminars, I read that you also do seminars, it's your testimony that that's helping people. And tonight, you're really, I mean, you're going in, you're going deep, you're, expo- you're, you're opening yourself up and you're exposing the devil for just that, what he is, he's a liar. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, there was a, it, it's such, it's such a, a, a powerful thing when you're being attacked as a child. You were being attacked as a child to stop what you're doing right now because he knew later on in your life how powerful you would be. And the thing about it is, you, you you said it in your bio that you're a survivor. Now you're walking in victory. Now you're helping other people. And, you know, life, I've always said this, life will do two things to you, one of two things to you. It'll make you bitter or it'll make you better. It That's sounds right. like it made you better. Even though you had to suffer, you didn't harden your heart, but you still continue to reach out and help people. How do you feel when someone calls you now and says, you know what, it was your words. It was your obedience that you allowed God to speak through you to me, and you changed my life. How does that feel right now that you that you went through everything that you did? You know, it, it, I truly believe that nothing in life happens by accident. I think that God pretty much ordained. I mean, he knows the beginning from the end. He's going to protect us. And... When when women do call me, I don't take the, I don't like to take the credit for that because right. I know that it was God. Um, when I gave my manuscript to my husband, he had no idea. First of all, that I was writing a book. No one knew. Only the individual that knew I was writing a book was the editor. And when I gave him and my family and some of the other individuals involved in the project the manuscript, it literally ripped our lives apart. It tore our homes apart to where we, it took us some other six months. I have one sister that still doesn't talk to me, but I trust God that she will find healing and and everything will be okay. But the one thing that he told me after he, you know, he fell apart, he rebelled, he, he got angry, but at the end of the day he said to me, this is God, and I cannot fight God. I cannot fight his will. And this is not something that I can stop because my thing to him is if you're not comfortable with it, it doesn't have to go past this table. But when God touched his heart and showed him that it is not about us, it's about saving lives of so many other people, if you can touch one life, that's all that it matters because I take it back to if there, I thank God for the one individual, and there were several angels. That just happened to be one individual that is still in my life today who I still respect her Christian walk. And she never takes the, the uh, credit. She always say, you know, it was the Holy Spirit. God told me that you were his, and I was going to stay there with you in the trenches until that came to pass. And I think that's the whole thing and and the Lady Silverstone Baptist Hour. At the end of the book, God really shows himself strong. And that that woman in that book becomes whoever that is leading it, whether it's a man or a woman. They place themselves into that into that character because it covers everything. It covers everything that you, you know, can imagine. And one thing about sin is sin is sin. And whether or not you are in a homosexual relationship or you are on drugs or you are um, the abuser, it's all sin. And we need to know that God can forgive us for it, but we have to find the root of our problem. And that's the, that's the most important thing is finding the root, what caused us to have this problem in the first place. Yes. Miss um, Harris, I'm sorry, Miss Napoleon. 
Uh-huh. Uh, I'm thinking about my la- our last guest. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, what would you like for people to take away from your book? That there's healing in the Word of God. And no matter what road you've been through, no matter how bad you think you were, no matter how horrible your past is, lean not to your own understanding, because if you lean on your own understanding, you will continue to fall into the same patterns that you've fallen to. But trust God to fix you and heal you everywhere that you hurt. Trust God, not man. And even as you start to walk that Christian walk, you can have close relationships with your ministers and your teachers and all of that, but get to know the Word of God for yourself. Don't depend on anyone else to teach it to you. And you know what? That's so important that you say that because you know what? There's nobody else there when you're lying in bed at night and you can't sleep and you're dealing with life. That's right. When the lights are out, everybody's gone. It, you're one-on-one, and you have to deal with life. You have to make a decision. You can't live on grandmother's faith. You can't live by what you heard in, in church. If you see a person giving their testimony. You can't live on that person's testimony. Mm-hmm. You have to know God for yourself. You have to spend time, you know, with him. And, and it's, so, it's so awful that we'll spend so much time trying to give other people an opportunity to correct our problems, to correct our lives, when God is sitting there saying, all you have to do is come to me. Right. And, you know, that was the thing that I had to learn. I ran all of my life. I ran. I ran from one state to the other, just trying to get away from me. And that's where, you know, running from God, running from people, just trying to get a new identity, you know, and the end result was, as I sat down and I learned to read the Word of God and I learned to pray because prayer was something that I did, but I did not have that intimate relationship, then everything started to fall into place because a lot of, a lot of babies, when you try to ring, read King James Version of the Bible, it was so difficult for me to understand. I could take a computer apart, but I couldn't understand King James. <laughs> So I had to learn to go and, and read more of the English translations, New Living Translations. Now I, can, I comfortably can read the King James Version. So find a Bible that you can understand and make it a part of your everyday walk. If you only read it for 10 minutes, eventually it will grab a hold of your spirit and it will become part of you. And it will penetrate your heart. If it doesn't penetrate your heart, it does you no good. And that's what the—that's what God's word had to do to me. It had to penetrate my heart. I had to believe for myself that He truly loves me. He loves me so much that He has reached through this darkness and pulled me out. And you hear it every Sunday. You know, God for God to love the world, He forgave His only begotten Son. You hear those things, and you can quote them, but you don't believe them until He touches your life and you become intimate with him. That's wonderful. This is Napoleon. If someone needed to get in touch with you to get your book and also to, to schedule you for speaking engagements or to find out your seminars when you're having your seminars, how would they be able to get in touch with you? The best way to um, get in touch with me is at my website at www.ladysilverstone.com or they can go to MySpace com. All of the information is there of who they need to contact. Um, we would love to hear from you by email on what you thought of tonight's presentation, and we'd love for you to go out and pick up a book and give us your comments. And if there is someone out there that just cannot afford that book, Please send an email. And now I don't want two million emails. <laughs> I did that one time, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" But you know, you know, we we really would like to bless you if you are just having a difficult time. We couldn't do a whole bunch for you, but we could certainly reach out to that woman who is having financial struggles. And Greg and Brian, I thank you so much. I think what God is doing in your ministry is awesome. And I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, we, we, we enjoy Thank you. you, and you can come back on the show anytime you like. I appreciate it so much. Thanks, guys. 
thank you so much. With that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where we achieved our goal tonight by helping others be more, do more, and have more. Until next week, good night.